The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. Okay, tend to your neighbor and say, we're going to Bible school this morning. Okay. So we're going to slow things down just a little bit. Now, we're not going to slow jam level, okay? So it's not going to be a slow jam, but we're going to slow enough because I think it is imperative for us to understand what God wants us to see as we look at the I am, Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Pastor Josh and Sarah has done a phenomenal job about talking and telling us and teaching us about the other I am. So today, we're going to delve into I am the resurrection and the life. So the first thing that I want us to do is I want us to look at the nature of resurrection. It is important for us to understand the backdrop of what Jesus means when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. So the first point that I want to make is a non-controversial point. It should be simple and easy and everybody should accept it. If you don't, come to discipleship class. Okay. (laughs) So here's the first statement. Without death, there is no need for resurrection. Without death, there's no need for resurrection. So resurrection has to become a thing or experience because of the fact that there is death. So that's not controversial. We accept that. So in order for us to have a fuller appreciation of resurrection, we have to look at death. Okay? We kind of have to look at death in order for us to have a full appreciation of the resurrection. So, if you can go to Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. And so the Bible reads, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So that is the first time we see death, or we see the idea or the concept of death introduced and that's in Genesis 16 and 17 and it speaks to two different types of deaths the first one is physical later on Adam and Eve died they're no longer with us they don't exist on this earth anymore so they died physically but how many of us know that when they ate of this fruit they did not die immediately physically they were not taken out of this earth so which means there's another type of death that was experienced which is a spiritual type of death And many people would say it was a separation of man from God. So I kind of wanted to get a little closer and lean in to look at what that means. What is this spiritual death that we are going to be talking about? The first thing that I want us to see is that before they ate of the fruit, Adam and Eve existed in the garden with the full word of God. Without adulteration, without contamination, without blemish. It was in its purity and in its innocence. That's what they existed in the garden before the fall. We understand that the word has this nature because David speaks about this in Psalm 119 verse 9. He says, how can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your 
word. So we can see that the word has a purity and an innocence that it carries, that it brings to the heart of men. If you've been following through with our Being Transformed journal, you, have, you would have read this in John chapter 15 and verse 3. Jesus talking to his disciples, and this is way before Pentecost. He says, you are already clean because of the Okay, all right. I need you to be in church with me. Okay, you're already clean because of the I have spoken to you. So the word has the ability to cleanse or the word has the ability to make clean. Now before the fall, they existed in the trueness of it in the sense that they were in purity and in innocence of the word. We understand this to be true because we see that they were naked and not I got 15 people in church. <laughs> I need that, that number to kind of go up. Okay. They were naked and not. Okay. So that means that what they knew, everything that they did, everything they understood, everything they spoke was as a result of what God had told them. As a result of the word of God and nothing else. When they ate of this fruit, the spiritual death that they experienced was a contamination of the innocence and the purity of the word. So now that they are naked and they have eaten of this fruit, they experience something they have not experienced before, which is shame so that's the contamination that we see so adam has the confidence to name the animals and whatever it is he called the animal it was he eats of this fruit no longer does he exist in just faith now also comes fear now also comes doubt now also comes a self-awareness of his flaws because the word had been contaminated. So we understand this death is that you are now existing in a place where the flesh has a pull on you to go into a place of darkness. And so death then is that pull that contaminates the truth of the word, that contaminates the purity and the innocence of the world. And what gives power to death is sin. Okay, that's the second point. What gives power to death is sin. So without sin, death has no power. Death has no strength. So we understand that sin gives power to death. Without death, there would not have been need for resurrection. Resurrection only exists because there is death, which gets its power from sin. Okay, so resurrection is a direct response to sin. So we understand if they had not sinned, they would have not died. And so there's a problem that needs to be solved. And this is when Jesus comes onto the scene. So Jesus is known as the second Adam. Okay, he's known as the second Adam. He exists in the purity and the totality of the word of God because he is not born out of a man's decision or out of two people getting together and then him being birthed. He is birthed out of a spoken word from God just like Adam and Eve were born out of a spoken word from God. You following with me? Okay, so Adam and Eve are not born because two guys decided to go to Chick-fil-A and have a Chick-fil-A moment like Pastor Josh and Sarah has spoken to us. That's not what happened. God spoke the word. Adam and Eve were. So they existed in the purity and the innocence of the word. Because they were a spoken 
uh, being from God's spoken word. Jesus is exactly the same. He is not born out of the will of men, but born out of the spoken word of God. So he also exists in the purity and the innocence of the word of God. He is the completeness of, whole, of the holiness of God without sin and importantly without a sin nature. So because he's without a sin nature, he is walking in purity and innocence and no sin. So no sin means that death does not have authority over him. You're tracking with me. The power of death is sin and Jesus does not have sin. So he says in John chapter 10 verse 18, no one can take my life from me. Right? He is the only one who can say that. Because he is without a sin nature. So he says, I have. I sacrifice it voluntary for I have authority to lay it down when I want to. And also to take it up again. For this is what my father has commanded. Okay, you're tracking with me. So Jesus has a problem. Okay, this is Jesus' problem. He has not come on this earth to just live a righteous life. He actually did not come on this earth to live. He came on this earth to die. But because he is without sin, death does not have authority over him. So how is he going to accomplish death? This is your redemption. This is where you get excited. So what he did was he took your sin and my sin. And the Bible says he became sin so now that he has become sin death has an opportunity to take him out so how he lays down his life is by taking on your sin and my sin in order for death to have an opportunity so now that death has had this opportunity what death doesn't realize is that he has just played a trick on death because the sin that he that takes him out is not his sin but your sin and my sin so when he goes down to Sheol, he still has the authority because he exists in the purity and the innocence of the word of God. So that means he's without blemish, without spoil. He's complete holiness when he goes down to Sheol. And the Bible says he stripped the power off of the devil when he went down to Sheol because of that innocence. So two things happened. Number one, your redemption was made true because death took out Jesus and in so doing, it got its wage for your sin and my sin and we don't need to pay that bill again. And then number two, it showed that the authority of life exists in Jesus because he is without blemish and without spoil. So he is the word of God incarnate and he makes the declaration, I am not just a resurrector of men. He's not just a resurrector of men. He is the resurrection because of the fact that he is the word of God in its purity, without blemish as it was supposed to be at the first time of creation in Genesis. Are you tracking with me? So he is the resurrection, not the resurrector of men.
Because if he is the resurrector of men, every time I ask for a resurrection, it has to take place. Because if it doesn't, it means he's failing at being a resurrector. But he is the resurrection, meaning that resurrection only happens if it is to the glory of God. So my cousin Joe did not get up from his deathbed and went on to die. And I prayed for his resurrection. It didn't happen not because of my faith, but because there was no glory to God for his resurrection. It was there to minister to my emotion, but not to the glory of God. So he's saying, listen, I am the resurrection. And so then resurrection will happen and sometimes it won't happen in our immediate eyes so that's what he means when he says I am the resurrection and the life so Paul then says 1 Corinthians 15 55 and 57 oh death where is your victory oh death where is your sting for the sin is the sting that results in death and the Lord gives sin its power. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the nature of resurrection. So now we want to look at the need for resurrection. Where he makes this declaration in John chapter 11 verse 1 to 46. Now, I'm not going to read it because... I have a long way to go and a very short time to get there. So bear with me. Okay. So this whole thing that happens in John chapter 11 verse 1 to 46 is a setup. And I'm going to kind of set it for you. So Lazarus is sick. And Lazarus is the brother of Martha and Mary. And so when they realize that Lazarus is sick, they send forth word to Jesus and say, Hey, Lazarus is sick. We need you. And the Bible says, Jesus says, this sickness shall not end in death. And he waits two days. And then he talks to his disciples and he says, hey, we need to get up and go to Judea. And the disciples go, uh, when they trying to kill you over that side, why should we go back there? And he goes, well, because Lazarus is sleeping. And they're like, well, surely he can wake up. You know, <laughs> when we sleep, we eventually wake up. Then he says, okay, he's dead. And then they go, okay, oh, so let us all go die with him. Because those rebels are all going to kill us when we get there. So we might as well go and die with the guy. So he gets there. And when he gets there, Martha is the one who runs out to him first. Says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then he speaks to Martha and he says, your brother will rise again. And she says, yes, my brother will rise again at the resurrection in the last day. And that's where he makes the declaration. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will, though he face death, he will live. Whoever believes in me will never face death. And then she says, yeah, I believe that you are the Messiah, the one who is to come. She goes and she grabs Mary. Mary comes onto the scene, weeping and crying along with the Jews that come along with, uh, that come along with her. And they cry and weep, which touches the Lord's heart. He then says, okay, where have you laid this man? And so he goes to where the tomb is. And when he gets there, he says, roll the stone away. And then Martha says, there will be a bad smell if you are going to do that. And then Jesus says, did I not tell you? Did I just not tell you? And then he speaks to the dead man. Lazarus come forth. Lazarus comes out. Some of the Jews believe and some don't. Okay? That's the summary of what we're looking at. So the whole thing to me is a setup with all the players that are there. Now, who's watched the movie Vantage Point? 
One. Forrest Whitaker. One person. Man. I thought 11 o'clock would just be awesome. There was like... There was like two in the Saturday night and five in the first and one. Okay. Anyway. So Vantage Point. It's a good movie. You should watch it. Now, I don't know. When I watched it, I was not fully critical of movies in the moral sense of it. So I don't know whether it's clean or not. But it is a very good movie. So... The thing is with vantage point is there is this scene, an explosion happens, and so it goes through various characters that are associated with what's happening and how it affects their life and what decisions that they make and all that based on that one thing. So it always comes back to the beginning, and then it takes you through the different people. So we're going to do it vantage style today, okay? You with me? All right. So Martha. Martha is the first character that we're going to look at. So Martha hears, or Martha knows, that the brother is sick. And so she does what is right because she has an understanding of who Jesus is. She knows who Jesus is. If Jesus is here and my brother is sick, Jesus can heal Lazarus and Lazarus will be well. So her theology and her understanding is right. So when the word is sent forth to Jesus, this is what happens. Jesus does not immediately get up and run over to Martha so that he can heal Lazarus. He actually waits two days because, again, it's a setup. He has everything all played out and what's going to happen. But Martha goes into that waiting period during that time frame. So in that time frame, she's leaning on her understanding that, man, surely Jesus is going to come and he's going to bail my brother out and everything is going to be okay. Have you been there? Where you're praying and you're believing God for your breakthrough. You're looking at the mom that you love and it looks like life is passing away. And you're believing that God is going to heal her. Have you been there? Where you're believing God that man, I'm surely not going to be evicted. Because then I pray because I believe Jesus is able and you believe rightly so that he is able. And you're praying and you go through this moment of nothing. And after that moment of nothing, the thing that you feared happens. And that's what happens to Martha. The thing that she feared happens. But you see, Martha has this theological correct understanding of things. And you can see that she begins to lean on it. Because she runs over to Jesus and reiterates her understanding. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. So her, her understanding is correct. And then Jesus says, this is where you see it's just to understand. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And then she speaks theology. Yes, he will rise again at the resurrection and the last day. That's her understanding. But Jesus is talking something differently. And then Jesus then says the statement, I am the resurrection and the life. Instead of saying, Jesus... What do you mean you are the resurrection and the life? She does this. She goes back to theology and says, yeah, you are the Messiah, the one who is to come. She answers that statement with the theological question, that, this theological statement that is totally unrelated to what Jesus has said because she's leaning on her own understanding. You see, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3 and 5, 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. See, we have read that scripture and we think understanding is 2 plus 2 equals 4. Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do, a, b, c, d, e, f, g. Don't lean on that. No, understanding also means don't lean on your understanding of Jesus. Don't just lean on your understanding of Jesus. So what she has is a deadness of understanding. So this thing that is devastating her so much, what she does is she leans on her theology. She leans on her understanding, which is what God is saying. Don't just lean on that understanding. Because you see, the thing about us is we think we are right. We think we're always right. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 2. A person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. We always think we're right. With this virus, masks, I'm right. No masks, I'm right. Vaccination, I'm right. Don't vaccinate, I'm right. The Republicans should be the one in power, I'm right. No Democrats, I'm right. Our opinions and our thoughts about things, I'm right. And I look at it and I look at people and I go, how in the world could you think any different? How in the world could you see differently? Because I'm right in my own mind. And then this is what we do. I talk to people that are like-minded, that think the same way. And they go, yeah, you're right. And I go, yeah, I know I'm right. <laughs> I am. And then there's a separation of those that think that way. And me and my group, we think this way. And we're looking at those and going, what is wrong with these people? But this is what the Bible says. We know in part. The information, the data, everything you know is a small, minute part of the whole thing. And so when we lean on our understanding, we lean on the confidence of the theology that we have and we think, yeah, that's what I have. I'm right. And that causes us not to listen. That causes us not to hear. This is what Matthew verse 10 and 41 says. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. So ministers are standing up here trying to tell you something, but you cannot hear because you're not receiving them as ministers that can speak into your, into your life. So you don't receive it. It's just Pastor Josh. What else can you tell me now? I've been following the guy for five years. I've, got, I've heard it all. So when he comes and he ministers, you hear nothing because you didn't receive him as a teacher who can speak into your life. So you missed out on his reward. So here is Martha missing out on the reward of the declaration that he's given that I am the resurrection and the life. Because she keeps leaning on her theology. How do I know? Because even when Jesus begins the miracle and he says, remove the stone, she's like, hey, 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 hold on. It's going to smell. Do you know that it's going to smell, Jesus? And that's what we do when we lean on our own understanding. So here's this. Everything that you think you know and that you think is absolute truth, have the humility to know Jesus still wants to resurrect your understanding so that you can move to the place of resurrection. And the place of resurrection is to have the word in its purity and innocence without blemish. Because in our own understanding, it is easy for me to hate Simply because somebody does not see what I see. Simply because somebody does not have the same experience that I'm having. And does not understand it. I don't want anything to do with you. Evil doers. 
Those very same evildoers are the sheep that he has called you to, to minister to. So now, Martha, what are you going to do? And Mary is the second one. You see, Mary's like Martha, having the correct understanding. So she sends the word just like Martha did. Because the Bible says the sister sent the word to Jesus. And she has a similar experience in that she's believing that Jesus is going to come. Now, do you remember Mary? Luke chapter 10. The Bible says she did what she sat at the feet of Jesus. And Martha's out there doing the dishes. Martha goes, hey, Jesus, can you just tell her at least to bring the soap out or something instead of just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Hey, Mary has chosen what is right. So who would you have expected to be the first to run to Jesus? Mary. But she doesn't because this has rocked her faith. The thing that has happened before her eyes when she believed that Jesus was come and heal Lazarus causes her to stay at home. The Bible says Martha ran, Mary stayed. And she's staying because her faith is rocked. Does this thing even work anymore? Mary, are you still praying? You're done with praying because you didn't experience the breakthrough as you thought it would happen. You don't read the Bible anymore. You're sitting there in the anguish of the experience that was before you. It's Lazarus. It's Lazarus. He's the one whom Jesus loves. He's the good guy. I mean, if someone's going to die, kill a drug dealer or someone. But not Lazarus. (laughs) Not Lazarus. And so she's feeling that anguish. Just like we would feel. My dad, the father of our home, the one who has kept us together, the minister of truth, and he dies. My son, you could see the life that was in him. You could see the trajectory of where he was going to, and now he's gone. And Jesus, you didn't step in, and you stopped to pray. You stop to believe. And now there's a deadness of faith. Is Jesus really even a thing? Does this thing really even work? What are we doing? Is there a God? Am I a Christian? What do I know? And you give up. And it is expressed in your body. And your body even begins to start eating on the inside of you. But here's the thing. Martha goes to Mary to say, hey, Jesus is asking for you. So I want to speak to you, church. There are Marthas in this house that need to be going to Mary and saying, hey, listen, Jesus still asks for you. Jesus still asks for you. You see, the deadness of faith, whether you believe or not, does not negate that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He does not need your faith to be who he is. You need your faith for that to function for you. And so Mary comes. And when she comes, the Bible says she got up quickly. Because then she realizes, yes, Jesus still wants me. Jesus is still there. And she gets there and she weeps. Some of you, it's time to just weep in faith. And she weeps and she cries. 
And the Bible says Jesus himself was filled with the hurt for her. Filled with anguish in his spirit for what was happening to her. Here's, here's what somebody needs to hear. Even though you've experienced loss, it doesn't stop Jesus caring about you. Jesus still cares. And so what Mary's about to witness is to see that he is the resurrection and the life to her faith. That she would believe again. And so she's the same one that later on runs with the, with the alabaster box and breaks the oil. And anoints Jesus with, with the oil and washes Jesus with her hair. Because her faith is restored because he is the resurrection and the life to faith. Then there's the disciples. I love the disciples. I see me as the disciples. See, here's the disciples. They have absolutely no clue what's going on. I mean, Jesus speaks metaphorically, huh? He speaks plainly. What you saying now? They still don't get what's going on. And this is what he says to them. He says, it's a good thing that I wasn't there. Because if I was there, I surely would have healed Lazarus and he wouldn't have died. But it is good for you that this has happened because I'm going to take you with me. And now you're going to see the glory of God so that you might believe. What? Disciples? Believing? Stop for a minute. John chapter 2. These are the same ones that said, hey, we have met the Messiah. We have seen Jesus. He's the Messiah. Hey, Nathaniel, come check this out. Nathaniel goes in. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He gets there. He sees and says, hey, I saw you under the fig tree. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you are the Messiah. Right? The same people that witnessed the miracle at the wedding in Cana is how I would say it. But my wife tells me it's Cana. I speak the Queen's English. But anyway. So, so at the wedding in Cana, when Rome, do as the Romans, right? At the wedding in Cana, right? The Bible says when they filled the jars and everything and they drank and they saw that the water was turned to wine. What did the disciples do? They believed. Right? But here's Jesus again coming in and he's saying, so that you might believe. But it's kind of like us, right? God breaks through on my rent, but I struggle to believe him for healing. God broke through for me yesterday and provided for my healing, but I'm struggling to believe for my marriage. So I believe here, but I can't see him here. You see, for me, Jesus is the Lord of my parking, my parking spot. Okay? I'm... I'm I'm telling you, you can ask my wife before we were married. She didn't know this. And then we got married and she saw it and she sees it happening every time. I, it doesn't matter where I'm going. If I need a parking spot, I just say, hey, God, show me. And sure enough, somebody pulls out. And I get right there into my parking spot. Take out my keys and I'm whistling. Because <laughs> God is awesome. He's broken through for me. Right? Then I mess up my finances and I cannot believe that God's going to come through. I'm in this place of constant worry. Like, God, are you going to be there? Can you do it? But I have confidence about this little thing. But not confidence about here. Where you at? You've seen God move. 
time and again. But you still struggle to see it. And that's, this is the same as the disciples. Remember when Jesus was in the boat, he was putting his head down. There's a big storm. Ah, big storm. Carest you not that we die? Carest you not that we perish? You probably say that. Even after you've seen great things, like, Jesus, does he really care about me? Because if he did, he would break through for me. And this thing would happen. Carest he not? And then Jesus comes through. Next thing, who is this? This is the next thing they ask is, who is this? So they're in a place in which they have a deadness of revelation. Deadness of revelation. You know Jesus here. and He's revealed himself to you here. But you don't yet fully know him over here. So he's trying to show you that I am the resurrection and the life. I think, church, it's time for the saints that whenever you're facing a situation or you ever you're facing trouble, it's an opportunity to say, Jesus, what are you going to show me about who you are? What are you going to show me about what you can do? I lost my job. Oh, that just means there's another chapter that's about to begin. God's about to do something new. My daughter is gone and is dead. That's a new chapter that, God, you're about to take me through. You're about to put this story that seems like so painful as a testimony of your greatness what are you about to show me God I cannot pay my rent what you gonna show me I cannot feed people and I need to have money to do so what are you gonna show me so every problem every struggle every situation and circumstance you're facing look at it this way it's time for a revelation of Jesus it's time for him to show me something about him that I didn't know and that's the disciples so that you might believe so he is jesus is the resurrection and the life to revelation and then there are the good old jews who are on the scene the jews that are in the scene are sort of on a humanitarian be nice be kind be good people kind of tip because they've come to this funeral to weep, wail, and mourn with Mary and Martha. So they don't have the direct influence that Martha and Mary have had. They don't have that. So they're there and they're critical, right? They go, oh, he loved them. But at the same time, couldn't he who has helped so many help them? And that's the people in the world that we encounter that ask those kind of questions. People that come and check your theology, check your understanding of scripture, and attack what you know about Jesus. If Jesus really loves, how come there's world hunger? If Jesus really loves, why is there coronavirus and people are dying? Why do kids suffer in Africa? You know, we were told that when I was growing up, when you were about to not finish your food. And we'll be told, hey, you need to finish your food because they're kids in Somalia. They don't have food to eat. So second service told me, apparently, you guys think it's Africa. <laughs> your parents tell you, you got to eat because they're kids struggling in Africa. For us, it was Somalia. <laughs> so while you're thinking Africa, we're thinking Somalia. <laughs> now, I, I, I don't tell you this. We were eating just fine. <laughs> Now, I don't know about the Somalians because I've never been there, but <laughs> hey, we were doing great. <laughs> we were needing to watch our weight just like y'all here. <laughs> so you face the criticism of the Jews 
Where they come and question the authenticity of the thing that you believe. And the point to the things that are happening or not happening in your life. As evidence as though faith or Jesus or this whole thing is terrible. Man, look at me. I don't believe God, but look at all the wealth that I have amassed. Look at all the riches that I have. I got 15 houses. But you can only live in one. I got 20,000 cars. You can only drive. And they see this abundance as a result of God doing great things. Now, this is not in your notes, but I want you to write this down. Healing is not evidence of faith. Provision is not evidence of faith. It is evidence of God's power. Works is evidence of faith. Healing is not the evidence of faith. Provision is not the evidence of faith. It is the evidence of God's power. Works is the evidence of faith. See, when you pray and somebody gets healed, you have faith for the thing and God shows his power. A person who walks in faith does the work of the Lord because they have faith. That's why James says, if you show me your works, I will show you whether your faith is dead or alive. So we have then put this thing into this box. If I don't see a miracle, it's only because there was a lack of faith. But the truth of it all is sometimes the miracle isn't happening because it only has to happen if it glorifies God. And sometimes we desire a miracle for our own selfish gratification. So when you don't see healing, that does not mean there was a lack of faith. But when you don't see works, there definitely isn't faith. Think about that. You're sitting here, you're angry about abortion. But you don't do anything. You have no faith. All you do is languish in anger about it. Vote this guy out and vote this one in and things will change. Man, there have been so many people that have held different offices. Abortion still abounds. You don't do embrace grace at all. But you're angry. Ah, killing babies. How dare they? But you do no works towards that which God is causing your heart to grieve for. And you have no works. You have the gift to communicate the word of God. But because you believe you don't have a platform, you shut up. Instead of believing God for a platform. So you have no works that shows a dead faith. And the only thing that you want to believe God for is provision. Give me more money. Help me pay the rent. Help me to find love. <laughs> you want to believe God for the instances that only show his power. If you are living a life of faith, you will do work. Not a job work that means you would do the thing that you are passionate about that god has placed in your heart for you to be passionate about that is what you will put your hands to do because you have faith so when people question happenstance and incidences in their happening or not happening as whether faith exists or whether god is good you're missing the whole point because remember he's not just a resurrector of men he 
is the resurrection and the life. And so the Jews needed this to believe. They needed this to believe. And so when he speaks, he says, I'm praying this prayer. And I'm saying these words to you, Father. I don't say them for me. I don't say them for my benefit. But I say that everybody around here can hear this word. Because faith comes by hearing. And so they need to hear this word. And so he declares, Lazarus, come forth. So that the Jews would also believe. And guess what? They did but they also had some who didn't because belief is not is not is not your responsibility or my responsibility for somebody else's belief it is their own the mandate for you and me is to do the work that god has put in our hands to do so the deadness of belief we've got a world just grappling saints Grappling, division in our world. And it's not just in your immediate vicinity. It's in the world. Because of a lack of belief. And we sit here and we hear this word and we hear this word and we hear this word. And some of us, we just get fat and fat and fat and fat because we never have a place to release what we're hearing. You gotta find your work. What we do here at New Song is to try everything that we can in order to provide an avenue and grounds for which you can exercise the gift, but this is not the be all and end all. What is your work that shows your faith? That some would believe. So Jesus is a resurrection and the life to belief. And then finally, Lazarus. Lazarus, he's dead. He's gone. He's not here anymore. He can't think, he can't feel, he can't do anything. And some of us have come to that place of deadness. See, what this virus has done is caused people to actually go into that place of deadness. There's no option. There's no hope. There's nothing. You stop when you're dead. The Bible says, do not give up the habit of meeting as someone in the habit of doing, but meet together all the more, even as you see the day approaching. And the day is approaching because of the virus. But some of us have locked ourselves in our homes, barricaded everything. No air is going to come in here or go out. There's a virus out there, people. New song's position in mind is not to say do not be cautious and the fact that you need to be cautious. But then my question is, how then are you practicing that scripture? Because you say you believe. How then are you still producing your work? Does your work then have to take us back seat because of the events of the world? Is that how it works? So Jesus is like sitting there and going, y'all, there's a virus, so y'all don't need to minister about me no more. Okay, let's figure out how this virus thing happens. And when it's finished, you know, then we can get back to work. Is that what Jesus would say? So which means that you and I are still called to do the work of an evangelist, to do the work of the prophet, the teacher, the priest, the king, the service person, to minister to somebody, to give, to share, to cry with somebody, to pray with somebody, to hear, to listen, to hug. We still have that mandate. So 
If you are a person of faith, you're sitting there figuring out how do I do it? Not it's time to stop. Dead. Here's the truth about it. Romans 11, 29. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Even though you're dead, you are still called. Even though you've stopped, your gift still remains. Your call still remains. Will you accept it? Will you hold on to it? Or are you going to let go? Are you going to let go? That wasn't the coronavirus. Are you going to let go? What are you going to do? Because the call hasn't changed. Because you haven't found a platform to minister. You're, you're not ministering. You're just denying yourself. So Jesus is there for Lazarus as a resurrection and the life to life. When Lazarus comes out, the Bible says he was still bound. Again, that is a message to you and I in the church. When people come out of their situations that are tough, it's not time for judgment. It's time to release bonds so that they can step into the fullness of who God has called them to be. We have a mandate. I don't want us to just sit comfortably in this house and just enjoy good word and great worship. I want us to be impactful and I speak and I know that I speak to the hearts of my pastors that are here. I want us to be impactful. I want you to be impactful. I want you to experience the goodness of God, not in the accumulation of things, but in the impact and the changing of a person's life. Because you see, there are two debts. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. And just as it is appointed for men to die once, and after that comes judgment. So there's one death. We will all experience it. And that's what Jesus means when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. So even though we're going to face the physical death, which is the first death, we will pass the judgment and not face the second death. Why? Because we hold on to Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life, who paid the price. But it's all not going to be worth it if we don't take our post and position to be what he has called us to be. There's a hurting world. Hurting. Hurting. And we're stuck in our thoughts. Dead in our understanding. Going back to just our theology and not being human to somebody who has need. Man, when somebody's crying, when somebody is a drug addict and they're struggling with addiction, it's not time to judge. Yes, you're right. If somebody wallows in their sin, they will face death. You're correct. But it's not the time to say it. Because you don't lean on just your understanding. You say, God, how do I minister in this time? Don't be dead in understanding. Don't be dead in faith because you're so hurt by the things of this world. All you need to do is open your eyes and see that Jesus still cares and Jesus still loves. Don't be dead in assuming that's because you don't see the revelation of God that he's done showing you who he is. Don't be dead in belief and question and join the world and people that question. And ask questions that have nothing to do with like, where did Cain get his wife from? Who cares? (laughs) Who 
cares. I'm talking about life and life to the full. John 10.10 10 says, I've come that they might have life and life to the abundance. That abundant life is not just possession. It's eternal life. If you could stand with me. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, Go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.